the radio uh, broadcaster Jeremy Vine on his uh, Radio 2 show. He has a, a regular slot where he uh, interviews people and asks them to, to, to describe what it is to be human. You can listen to his uh, weekly podcast, What Makes Us Human, if you so wish. How, how would you answer that question? What, what, what makes us human? The Bible gives various complementary answers to that question. Um, and one answer that the Bible gives to that question of what it is that makes us human is this, that humans, as humans, we have a, we have a body and a, a soul. A human has a body or a, or a soul or a spirit. I think those words are used interchangeably. So we, ha- we have a body, something that can be uh, observed, something that can be seen fairly easily, something that the Bible generally describes as being an, an outward thing. But we also have a, a soul, uh, a spirit, something that can't quite so easily be, be seen, something that is essentially inward, something that is very much connected with our bodies but is distinguishable from our bodies. We have a body and a soul. Various places in the Bible we, can, uh, we see that idea, that the idea that humans aren't just body, not just soul, but their body and soul. So Genesis, Genesis 2, verse 7, right at the beginning of the Bible, then God formed man from the dust of the ground, so that's the, the kind of the physical body, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So there's more than just the, the physical, more than just a body going on there in Genesis. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. John 19, as, as the Lord Jesus dies, as his body is dying, he prays, doesn't he? He, he lifts up his head and he says, it is finished, and then he bows his head and he gives up his spirit. Lots of places in the Bible where we get that idea. Two, two connected but distinguishable parts. The body and the soul, or the body and the, the spirit. But the Bible describes other components that, that make us human. Things that, if you like, are kind of subsets of the body or the, um, or the soul. And perhaps some of them appear in, in both of those categories. It's not, it's all not, it's not neat and tidy. So as we read the Bible, we read about the human spirit or heart, about conscience, about desire, about the human will, about emotion and the mind. All those kind of components, all those categories. And you kind of think, is that, is that, in the, that, is that body or is that, is that soul? Is it a little bit of both? I think often it's, it's kind of both. I think some of those words are, are interchangeable. Like I say, everything's not as neat as we'd like it to be. There is a mystery in some of these things. Well, today we're going to be thinking just about one of those components, the human mind. And I think that when we think of the mind, I think it's something, it's a category that, that comes under both the body and, and soul. We, we have a physical brain. If I went to QA this afternoon with the right equipment, with the right help, someone could, could observe my brain. You can insert your own jokes there about how long that would take and so on. But uh, you, you could, the, 
we, we have a brain, a physical brain that can be seen, that can be observed. But when the Bible speaks about our mind, it's, it's undoubtedly speaking about something bigger than just our, our brain. Saw that little uh, video uh, earlier on by um, Sharon Dirks. Uh, she's a doctor. Uh, as Rob said, the, the details about that book should be in your welcome sheet. Uh, you, can, um, uh, you can listen to her, her various uh, talks that she's given. Uh, I've been doing that this week. It's fascinating. She looks at psychology and biology and, and the Bible, and she puts a case together about the why, why humans are, are more than just a brain, why the mind is more than a, a brain. And one reason, I'll just give you one reason why we should think of our minds as being bigger than just our brain is this, is that the Bible frequently speaks about the mind of God, that, that God has a mind. And, uh, and when we think of God's mind, we're not just thinking of a, of a brain, are we? The mind incorporates, but is not limited to the brain. So what we're going to do now, we're going to think about some things, four things, that the Bible says about our minds. We're not going to have time to look at all the things the Bible says, but we're just going to concentrate on these four things. Uh, uh, the human mind, the human mind that allows us to understand and to reason and to discern and to doubt and to remember and to do a, to do a whole lot more. Four things to understand from God's word about our minds. The first is this then, our minds are amazing. Our minds are amazing. I, I have an amazing mind. Never said that out loud before, but uh, I do. And um, in case you think I'm getting a little bit big-headed, you, you have amazing minds as well. It's estimated that, uh, that our minds process 70,000 thoughts every day. I, I, I'm struggling to remember more than a handful of those 70,000 from yesterday, but it's, it's true. The, the, the brain, just to, to think about the brain for a moment, our brain is made up of more cells than there are stars in our solar system. The human, the human mind is, is capable of doing incredible things. And that the Bible is clear that the human mind is amazing. In, in Psalm 139, we read these words of, of King David. You have searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. And then he goes on to say, you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. We as humans, me, you, we are wonderfully and fearfully made. That, that shouldn't make us grow kind of proud. Actually, we'll see later on. It's just the opposite. It should... It should Humble, we should be humbled as we think how much greater God is. But that description of being wonderfully and fearfully made, it includes our minds. Our minds, your mind, is amazing. Secondly, though, our minds are, are spoilt by sin. The story of, of the Bible isn't just of, of God 
creating very good things. The story of the Bible uh, says that after the good creation, there is human sin, there is a rejection of the good creator, causing everything to be spoilt. And our minds, my mind, your mind, is spoilt by sin. In Psalm 64 we read, Surely the human mind and heart are cunning. We read earlier from, from Romans chapter 1. Just, just turn back there, we're going to spend a little time here. Romans chapter 1 on page 1128. Romans chapter 1, page 1128. And the, the heading that's in our, in our Bibles here, headings aren't always that head, uh, helpful, but this heading is helpful. It, it sums up what Paul, I think, is trying to say in verses 18 to 32. God's wrath against sinful humanity. And what's, right, I mean, um, what's striking, we didn't have time to read all of the verses, but what's striking in this section is how much the human mind and human thinking is mentioned. When, when I say the word sin, what, what do you immediately think of? I think for most of us, when we think about sin, when we think about rebellion against God, we think about actions. We think about, about words. We think about the, the outward. We, we, we think about the kind of things actually that are mentioned in verse 29. Just have a look at verse 29. Uh, they're filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, Depravity, they're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice, gossip, slanderers, God-haters, and so on. We, we, we think about those things, many of us do, maybe you do, the, the outward things, the outward sins, if you like. But, but Paul stresses in this chapter that those outward things, those observable sins, flow from a, a sinful inner self, a sinful heart, sinful mind. Look back at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. That, that suppression is going on it's a, in, in our minds. It's, it's, it's a suppression of the truth about God. Look at, at verse uh, 21. For though they, they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Verse, verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthy to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. Those list of outward sins that I, that I read earlier flow from that depraved mind, from wrong thinking. A mind that suppressed the truth about God and exchanged the truth for a lie. And the, the challenge of, uh, of verse 28 is, um, is that God actually gives people over to, to that way of thinking. If people say, oh, I want to go in this direction, I want to think differently, I'm going to suppress the truth about God, I'm going to walk away from God, I'm going to think my own thoughts, I'm not interested in your thoughts. Part of God's judgment on people who do that is he lets them walk. 
He gives them over. There, come, there comes a time when God doesn't call them back. They just carry on walking in the direction that they want to walk. I think um, some non-Christians, maybe if you're a non-Christian here this morning, perhaps this is your thought, they, they feel that their outward actions are generally, generally acceptable to others and if they believe in God, acceptable to the God that they believe in. But when they consider their minds, their thoughts, it's then that often the, the weight of sin really hits home. Since Cornerstone, since we started to, to meet as a church three uh, so years ago, we've run various Christianity Explored courses. Perhaps some of you have been on those, uh, those courses. And week three of that course that goes through the, what it is to be a Christian, it thinks about human sin. And the narrator in the video, he asks people to imagine uh, what it would be like if all of your um, words and actions throughout your life were displayed for everyone to see. And the comment is made that there would be things up for everyone to see that we'd be, that we'd be quite proud of, we'd be, we'd be happy for people to, to look at. Maybe there'd be other things that we wouldn't want people to see. But the thing is, because they're, they're outward things, the chances are that, that people have seen them already. But the, the, real, the real challenge comes with the idea, what, what if our thoughts were projected? What if all of our thoughts, our, our motives, our desires were, were laid bare for everyone to see? How, how would we feel about that? How, how would you feel about that? What would you prefer, your, your actions in life to be on display or for people to really know what you have thought? I, I suspect for most of us, the thought of our, of our thought life being on display would really bring home the, the reality that our minds are spoiled by sin. Thirdly, though, our minds are to be renewed. The big story of the Bible, it's not just about a, a very good beginning and then human sin and God's judgment falling. The big story of the Bible, the wonderful good news of the Bible, is about God's rescue, God's redemption of humanity through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Maybe some of you have seen the film uh, starring Russell Crowe, The Beautiful Mind. It's based on the true story of the brilliant mathematician John Nash. But actually, there's only been one person who's really walked on this earth who's got a truly beautiful mind, the perfect mind. That person is, of course, the Lord Jesus. The, the Lord Jesus didn't just always say what was right, although he did. Wonderfully kind in the words that he spoke, always speaking truth. He, he wasn't just right in every action that he took, although every action that he took was, was an act of love, an act of faith. But the Lord Jesus was, was right in every, every thought he ever held in his mind. His, his reasoning, his, his thinking, his emotions, his, his imagination, his motives. Always perfect, without sin. 
And therefore on the cross, he, he was free to take the punishment, not just for our wrong actions and wrong words, but for our wrong thoughts. And his resurrection promises that all who trust in him, who, all who are joined to him by faith, will be raised not just with a new perfected body, but with a new perfected mind. What, what a thought that is. Our bodies, our minds will one day be renewed, set free, made fit for eternity. But the renewal of our minds can and actually should start now. In, in fact, if we're, if we're looking forward to that day, which I hope we are if we're Christians, if we're looking forward to the day when our minds and our, our bodies will, um, will be renewed, it, it would be strange, wouldn't it, if we didn't want a little, a little experience of that now in, in some part. I know that I've used this illustration before at Cornerstone. Um, but because our minds and our, per- our memories aren't perfect, I'm going to use it again. And, um, and last time we did actually result in someone buying me some chocolate, and that's not the reason that I'm telling you this, uh, this illustration. Although, you know. Um, so it's my birthday uh, soon, and imagine that for my birthday, uh, Joe, Joe says to me, you know, what, what would you like for your birthday this year? And I say, what I'd really like is some, some chocolate, um, some Cadbury's uh, fruit and nut, to be specific. And, um, you know, not one of those like little kind of bars, like the big, the big Cadbury's fruit and nut bar. That's what I'd really like. You know, one the, basically the, as big as you can get. That's what I'd like um, for my birthday. Now, Joe jo takes note of this. And um, just before my birthday, she, um, she tells me, I mean, actually, this is, this is true. She would tell me, but she generally can't keep a secret. So she would say to me, I've got you that thing that you wanted. You know, I've got you that big... Cadbury's fruit and nut chocolate bar. But, but as a little treat to keep you going, I've also got you just a regular standard fruit and nut bar um, that you can have now. You can eat it now. You haven't got to wait for your birthday. You can have the big bit on your birthday. You can have a little bit of this uh, now, though. Imagine as she gives me that bar, I say, oh, no way. No way am I eating that. And that is, that is, I just do not want to eat that. Oh, Cadbury's fruit. No, no way. No. On my birthday, yeah, on my birthday, I'll have the big bar there and I'll have the big thing to taste. But I don't, I don't want a little sample of it now. I don't want a taste of it now. That would be weird, wouldn't it? If, if I reacted that way, you'd think, are you sure you really want the, the, the big thing on your birthday if you don't just want a little bit of it now? If you don't want a taste of it? In a similar way, it would be strange, wouldn't it, if we look forward to the day when our minds are renewed, when we think rightly about God, about other people, about ourselves, if we long for that day when we're set free, without wanting just a, a little taste of it now. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be the real thing. Our minds are still spot by sin. But wouldn't, wouldn't it be weird if we say, I'm not, I'm not interested at all in the renewal of my minds? Right now, Christians, we, we can, with God's Spirit, begin to have our, our thinking made new. Romans, Romans 12, just uh, flick over there. Again, where we read earlier, Romans 12. Notice what Paul says. Do not, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice that. Not, not, 
your minds will one day be renewed, though that is true. But there's, there's something going on in the present, your, the renewal of your minds. So let me quickly mention some, some practical things when it comes to the renewal of our minds to change our thinking. First, um, first if, if our minds are going to be renewed, if, if our thinking is going to change, we need to look outside of ourselves. So much of our surrounding culture says, look within for answers. Search your heart, search your mind, and follow it. That is the, the dominant message of our, of our culture. But God says something different. God says don't look within. God says look to him. That The spirit of our, our age says trust in yourself to make right decisions. The message of the Bible says trust in the Lord, in his word. That's what we need to do. We need to look outside of ourselves to have our minds and our thinking conformed to God's ways. When when people speak about meditating today, essentially what they mean by that is fill your mind with nothing. Empty your mind and, and see what comes in. That's modern day meditation. Biblical meditation is not about an emptying, it's about filling. Meditating in the Bible always means filling your mind with God's word. Considering God. Not looking within, but looking to him. Psalm 77, I will consider all your works. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. Psalm 119, verse 15. I meditate on your precepts. I consider your ways. Psalm 119, verse 23. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. We need to look outside of ourselves to have our minds renewed. The Bible points us away from introspection, from looking inward all the time. And it says, instead, it calls us to look outward. And in particular, to look towards the Lord and his words. Therefore, let me say this, we do need to be serious about learning. If we do want our our lives to be an act of, of worship, if we do want our minds to be renewed... If we do want to, to know God's good and pleasing and perfect will, as we read there in, in Romans 12, then we, we do need to be serious about having our, our thinking informed, shaped, changed through God's word. I wonder if people might look at us, observe our life and say, you know, that person, they're, they're serious about certain things, aren't they? They're, they're serious about their job. They're serious about their fitness, their hobbies, their, their family responsibilities. I pray that increasingly they would look at us as followers of the Lord Jesus and say that, that they're serious about wanting to learn more about God and his ways. Do you want your minds to be renewed? We do need to be serious about learning. We do need to, to make time with God's help to, to do that. I don't say that as a as a burden, but as something that should be a joy to us.
And finally, if um, as we as we fill our minds with God's word, we, we do that so that we live and feel differently. Often, as people grow in knowledge, as they learn more, they become proud. Maybe you can think that various people you know, not just talking about the Christian life, but a gaining of knowledge can, can, can sometimes um, help uh, cause people to become proud. But having our minds transformed by God should result in just the opposite. Should result in a humility. As we grow in our knowledge of God and we begin to appreciate how big and amazing and great he is, we, we see how small we are. I've been really struck this week as I've looked at God's words. That time and time again in God's word, when it speaks about a growing knowledge of God, it is coupled with a growing, uh, a, a growing in humility. Again, in Romans 12, those, those verses we just read, where it speaks about knowing God's will and having our, our minds uh, renewed. Verse 3, for it is by grace given to me, given to every one of us, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. Pastor, writer, theologian John Piper, he spent much of his life pursuing the knowledge of God as a means to, to, to worshipping God. He's written a book um, uh, with the title Thinking. I've been uh, reading that this week. It's essentially a book about using our minds to, to worship God. I commend it to you. Let me read you a couple of things that John Piper says should be up there uh, on the screen. It says, uh, Piper says this, that the Bible keeps thinking in its place as a servant of joy, peace, and love. The touchstone of whether it's doing its work is its fruit. If our thinking is not producing joy and peace and love, it's not doing its work. We're thinking badly. So the idea that as, as our minds are renewed, as we begin to understand more about God, it's, it leads, that isn't kind of the end of itself. It's not like, okay, I've, I've gained this knowledge about God. I, I can... I can tell people about it, I can tell myself about it, I've got it. The knowledge of God should, should lead to, to joy and peace and love, to other persons' sentiness. He goes on to, to say this, uh, it's not about getting degrees or having prestige, it's not about the superiority of intellectuals, it's about using the means God has given us to know him, love him and serve people. I would encourage you to think, but not to be too impressed with yourself when you do. Finally, as we, uh, as we kind of draw to a close, let me say something that I suspect many of us know through personal experience or through the life of people close to us. And it's this, that our, our minds can become ill. A number of people experiencing mental health, Problems, battles, problems like depression or anxiety. It's grown dramatically over the last 50 years, particularly in what we sometimes describe as the, the developed world. The World Health Organization predicts that depression, one form of, of mental illness, 
will be the um, most significant condition in the 21st century. Just as Christians aren't exempt from cancer or, or colds or broken bones, so believers in the Lord Jesus aren't exempt from, from struggles with their mental health. Uh, our minds can become ill. For some mild, for others severe. For some it's something short term, for others it's something longer term. There are so many factors involved uh, this morning, I'm not going to try to do justice to all those things. Got some, some books available on the bookstall dealing with depression, trusting God through dark times. It's a book uh, written both for those who, who have suffered, suffering with depression, and also for those seeking to help those with uh, depression. I commend it to you. Let me just say a couple of things, though, as we finish. Maybe uh, two things, one aimed more at those of us who are struggling with these issues ourselves, maybe one aimed at those of us who want to help others. If you're you're struggling with mental illness as a Christian, let me say this, that you're not unique or alone in that. Several Bible characters, several Bible passages, including many in Psalms, express struggles with the mind church history people like c.s lewis or martin luther amy carmichael many others suffered with severe bouts of depression so if you're if you're struggling right now if you have struggled please please be aware that you're not alone in that you're not unique isn't a, a, a reflection, if you like, of what you, of who you are, as a Christian. Connected with that, can I say to you that the Christian community, the the church, should be a place where you can be honest with others about your struggles. I'm not putting that as a as a burden on you. I'm not saying, you know, at the end of our time together, you need to go around to everyone and, and tell everyone your innermost thoughts, how you're thinking, how you're feeling. But I do mean that the church should be a loving community. I pray that it is here. Where we can speak honestly to others without fear. Can I say to you, if you are struggling with your feelings, with thoughts, then, then make, make use of the church as God intended. And finally, can I say to, to all of us here this morning, particularly to those who, who perhaps haven't struggled with mental illness, can I say that we have a, a role to play in helping others? In the book of 1 Peter, it, it speaks about the priesthood of believers. Maybe some of you have heard that phrase before. Let's read it in Hebrew as well. The priesthood of believers. And often when we hear that phrase, I think this is what we think of, um, and we'll be right to think this, we think of the fact that, that in the Old Testament, we kind of, the people needed a priest, they needed a representative, someone to kind of do some work for them, to bring them to God. But in the New Testament, we see how the Lord Jesus is the great high priest, how he is the one who, who brings us to God, he's the one who does kind of all the work on our behalf. 
And so when we think priest of believers, we kind of think that, that, that in a sense we're all made equal. We're all equal together because Jesus is our great high priest. And, and let me say that that is wonderfully true. That is true. That's probably the, the big idea. But can I just suggest that there is another idea there when, when we're spoken of, about as being the priesthood of believers. It is, it is a reminder that, that still as the church today, we do still serve one another. We, we still, in one sense, do things for other people that other people might not be able to do for themselves. We serve each other. We help each other. And can I say that, that for some in the church who perhaps are, are struggling with mental illness, that, that perhaps they need others in the church to do things for them that they can't do themselves. Maybe, maybe practical things. But as we think about the idea of being priests, it may be... It may be that we commit to pray for people. As we serve each other as, as a priest of all believers, our message isn't just, you need to pray more. You need to pray more. Our role is often, is more likely, I'm going to pray for you. As, as, we, as we communicate the truth, we're not just saying you... You need to do this, you need to do this, because maybe someone who's struggling with those things, that's, that's the last thing they need to hear. Not, not more things, not more do this, not more do this. Maybe there are times when we need to, to do those things for them. Maybe very subtly in the things that we say to people, that the message isn't so much, you need to trust in this promise. You, you need to trust in the promises that, that Jesus makes. There, there may be a time to say that, but a very subtle difference. We could say this. You can trust in the promises of Jesus. It's a very subtle thing. But maybe a message sometimes needs to be more. Not Don't do this, do this, do this. But, but hear this. And let me do this for you. We're told, aren't we, to, to carry each other's burdens. And I pray that as a church, we would increasingly do that. I've realized I've barely scratched the surface there of so many things. I, uh, I commend the books to you that um, we saw there. Some of the books that are on the bookstore. Have a word with Abby if you want some more details. Um, of how you can get hold of some of those books. Uh, it's prayer central this coming week, but the following week we'll be thinking about some of these things in our midweek groups, exploring these ideas a little bit more about our bodies and our minds. So I'd encourage you to keep any thoughts then. And if you, if you feel from this morning there's things that you just like to, to ask, or if there's things that you think, they think that I really um, I could do with someone coming alongside me, then please speak to me or speak to others who you know and trust. Let's pray together before we sing. Father God, we thank you that we are fearfully made. We thank you for our amazing minds that you have given us. Lord, we, we, we recognize though that 
our thinking is so far from, from what we would want it to be, let alone from what we know that you would want it to be. So we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he, he died for all of our sins, not just our outward sins, but our, our inner thoughts. Thank you that through the Lord Jesus, we can look forward to a day when our minds will be made perfect, renewed, fit for eternity. But we pray now, Lord, that you would help us to, to increasingly think in a way that's pleasing to you. Help us to be serious about learning from you, looking away from ourselves and towards you and your word. And we pray too, Lord, that as we do that, that we would grow in humility and love for one another. We pray, Lord, that, that you would help us to serve each other as a priesthood of believers. That for those who are, are struggling with, with mental illness, that others in the, in the church will be able to come alongside and minister to them. We pray, please, Father God, you'd help us to, to work out and to put these things into practice in our own lives and in this uh, community of the church. And we pray all for the glory of Jesus. Amen.